Alright, so welcome to part two of A Defense of Calvinism. In the first part, we went over an intro to Calvinism and Arminianism, and we looked at how the modern-day Christian sort of views uh, Calvinism, and then we looked at free will. So in this part, we are going to look at the scripture in support of Calvinism and the scripture that is used against Calvinism. So this might be probably the shortest part. All right, so let's get into it. For the first couple of verses, I used the Arminian belief and sort of did an Arminian version of what the Bible says. So I say, well, Arminianism says... People can exercise their free will and come to Christ by themselves. The Bible says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. That's John 6:44. So why can no one come to Jesus without the Father drawing them? The issue is that their very nature is opposed to God. That's evident in Romans 10 uh, or that's evident in Romans 3, 10 through 12. All right, so the next one. Well, Arminianism says, For by yourself you have been saved through faith, and this is of yourself. It is a product of how humble you are. The Bible says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So we're going to look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, because it, it says a lot about being given a new nature or regeneration. So let's get there. Okay. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So notice that, one, we were dead and we were made alive, and also that we were by nature children of wrath. So many Arminians would sort of say, oh, well, faith and 
faith faith happens and and being born again regeneration is sort of like a result of it because if if regeneration comes before faith then that means that God had to regenerate a man in order for the faith to come about but that would be incompatible with the arminian worldview because if regeneration happened before faith then God wants to save everybody in the Arminian worldview, so God would regenerate everyone, and yet some would come to faith, and some wouldn't. They're smart enough to realize that that's, that's not biblically even possible, and so they, they will have to say that regeneration either happens after or it happens at the same time that faith comes about. We know that that's not true, because... We know that if you're a dead man, you're not going to come to faith. If you're a dead man, you are going to turn away from God. If you are a dead man, you're, you're never going to come to God because you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And so, so notice the language. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And notice this. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what's it saying? It's saying at one point, your nature was that of a dead man. And you were a dead man like the rest of mankind. You were by nature a dead man. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So God makes us alive, and clearly from that it's saying he gives us a new nature. We have a different nature than the, than the rest of mankind, and what is this? We know it's a gift, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So a dead man does not come to faith. A dead man does nothing in his salvation. God regenerates man. He has to give man a new nature. He has to make him alive. And then once that man is made alive, God gives repentance and faith. All right, so now uh, turn to John 3, and we're going to go over this same, th this same theme because this theme is throughout Scripture. It's in Old Testament, New Testament, it's in the Gospels, it's everywhere. All right, so John 3. So let's look at John 3, 3 through 8. Okay. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Our issue is not that we are 
we are sinners and that we have the option to come to God and we would come to God on our own, but some of us do and some of us don't. Our issue is that we are dead in trespasses and sins. Our issue is that we are by nature children of wrath and that we hate God. And so we need a new nature. We need to be born again. We need to be made alive. Uh, the, whatever the language is, it's the same thing. You need to be born again because unless you're given a new nature, you will not turn to God. All right, so even look in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and you and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to this to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breath on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This idea of dead men being made alive by God is is a consistent story throughout the Bible. You have it in Ezekiel 37. You have it in the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead in the tomb. He is rotting flesh and Christ raises Lazarus, a dead man to life. And it, it it's a picture of it's a picture it's it's in Romans. Uh, it's it's a picture of really what happens in us we, we we are spiritually dead we we walk around we're by nature children of wrath we we hate god we would never turn to him on our own even according to our free will we would always we would always turn away from god if it wasn't for god's grace in god he doesn't give us enough grace so that we can believe no 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 he takes a dead man and he makes him alive spiritually. He takes a dead man and he makes him alive. He takes dry bones and he puts breath in them. He takes a dead Lazarus and he raises him. He takes he takes spiritually dead people, the lowest of the low, and he 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 creates pastors out of them and he creates mighty men of God. We can, we can look at scripture and, and consistently see the narrative that, that we are dead men, that we, we will never come to God, and so God has to give us a new heart, 
He has to give us a new nature. He has to make us alive. And 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 really the the greatest proof text that we will go over. Obviously, there's Romans three ten through twelve, um, which which is well. Let's. I'm I'm just gonna read it because I've already gone through it in part one. But let's just look at it because I I think it says very very significant things. In case you didn't watch part one, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So if all have turned aside, none is righteous. We can look at that and say, okay, if, if all have turned aside, it takes a work of God for anyone to come to God. And so we have that. And then Romans 9, which is our, our sort of nail in the coffin of Arminianism. Uh, and we are going to go into that on part three. But let's look really quickly on the scripture that is used against Calvinism. So John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the issue with using this verse in support of Arminianism is that it is still fully compatible with Calvinism. Since all have turned away and no one seeks God, Romans 3, 11 through 12, the whoever believes is just the elect. You know, yeah, whoever believes will, will be saved. Well, that's correct, but only the elect will believe. So that, that's still fully compatible with Calvinism. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so, oh no. He, he wants, uh, it says that he, he, he wants everyone to come to repentance. So, you know, Calvinism overthrown. Well, let's look at context. Context is important, and you know, if, if you think that any of any of the verses that I use in support of Calvinism are are not, uh, you can look at the context of those verses. So, let's look at Second Peter. Uh, starts off addressing its audience. It says to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior. Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So it's addressed to believers. Uh, and then, and that's 2 Peter 1 on. And then this, this book, uh, so, and then the promise that the Lord has to fulfill. So it says, the, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Okay, so what is his promise that he's wanting to fulfill? So the promise uh, is the second coming of Christ. And so what was happening was the believers were getting impatient about the second coming. And Peter was telling them that God would fulfill his promise in due time, but first, all that he called would have to reach repentance. God is not wishing that any of the elect would perish before they came to faith. And so really all that's happening is God has a chosen people. He has a church. Uh, he has a set number of elect. So the second coming 
cannot happen until God brings all of the elect to faith. So that's really all that that verse is saying. Uh, and then First First Timothy two four says, "Who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth?" The obvious question is, what does he mean by the word "all"? Does he mean every single person for all of time? Uh, again, context. So First Timothy one through four says, "I urge then first of all that petitions, prayers." intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness this is good and pleases god our savior who wants all people to be saved with context it's clear that he is not saying he wants every person to be saved but he's saying he wants all types of people He's saying pray for all types of people and not just the people you like. Pray even for the people in authority whom you probably don't like. Pray for all types of people because God will save all types of people. This isn't a statement alone who wants all people to be saved. It's This, is, this isn't a statement that, that needs to be taken alone. It needs to be taken in the context. Pray for all types of people because God wants to save all types of people. In context, it's obvious what it's saying. And so really, a lot of people will say, oh, Calvinism has a lot of uh, biblical support, and Arminianism has a lot of biblical support, and so really, you can you could fall either way. There really isn't that much biblical support for Arminianism. There, there are very few sort of proof texts for Arminianism, and even the ones they use are either fully compatible with Calvinism, or with context, is it's it's clear that they're not saying what the Arminian thinks they're saying. So, in reality, if if you if you start reading scripture through a Calvinist framework, it's it's it, it, you'll you'll see you'll see the same narrative throughout the Bible. Uh, it changes sort of the redemption plan you see. It changes what the gospel message is. It turns a weak God into a, a strong God who's who's powerful to save. And really, I mean, I used to be an Armenian in the in the early, early stages of my faith, but once I really started reading the Bible, and once I sort of started getting a decent theological framework, although I was still very, very new. I think it became pretty obvious that Calvinism was the only option, and so I hope that this epi I, I hope that this part uh, has been fruitful. I hope that you can gain something from it, and I hope that you can sort of see God in a in a better light because you can see his his redemption plan and that that God turns dead people alive, uh, and it's the same thing. You know, even even bodily, he's going to he's going to take dead men, and the and the the resurrection will happen as well. Um, and so we we can have hope in that. Uh, and and glory be to God. I hope you join us for the third part of a defense of Calvinism. So in the third section, we are going to go over. The common argument which says that it must be somewhere in the middle we're going to go over evangelism 
we're going to go over whether Calvinism is immoral, and we are going to answer the question, why does it matter? Uh, so in this in this part, we went over the scripture for and against Calvinism, and I hope you enjoyed it. Join me for the third part. Thank you.